Amen. Seriously, aren't you glad that, that our God can take brokenness, any brokenness out there this morning, and that he can make it beautiful? I mean, that's what our God does. That's the God we came to worship, the God who can take brokenness and make it beautiful. The psalmist says of him that, uh, that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And when he put on flesh, Isaiah 61 said that, that he came to... Uh, Bring good news to the poor and to comfort the brokenhearted. What a God. Okay, we're in uh, week three of a four-week series called Overcome, the challenges that we face. Uh, Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, you know this verse. It was true the first time you heard it. It's still true today. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Maple Grove, the good news is that Jesus has come to give you life and to give you life to the full. The bad news is uh, that you have a very real, very powerful, a very unrelenting enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy that life. And one of the ways that he does that is by throwing a bunch of uh, obstacles and challenges in front of us that we need to figure out how we're going to overcome. And so far in the series, we've talked about reversing anxiety and moving beyond insecurity. And I understand Maple Grove, when the, when the winds and waves of anxiety come crashing over my life, I'm just going to work my comms, right? I'm going to work my comms. I, I'm going to celebrate God's goodness and greatness. I'm going to ask God for help. I, I'm going to leave my worries with God. I'm going to meditate on good things, and I'm going to start doing what I know. And when the enemy's lies start to make me feel bad about who I am, I'm going to run. I'm going to run and replace those lies with the confidence in God. That's where we have been so far. And if you've ever struggled with anxiety and insecurity, you're not alone. Um, those messages are online. I encourage you to listen to them. If you didn't hear them, maybe listen to them again. Uh, this past Thursday, I made the following post on my Facebook wall. Now, I stayed off of Facebook for the most part, right, like I promised. I, I try not to look at my news feed, but once you log on, you tend to get tempted a little bit. But I stayed off for the most part, but I did want to make a few posts, and I made this post three days ago. Uh, don't forgive because they deserve your forgiveness. Forgive because you deserve peace. And then I commented. Uh, once again, I find myself studying and preparing for a message that I personally need. Overcoming anxiety, insecurity, and now hurt. Man, I need this series. My comment continued. Understand, all those times I've said that I'm a messed up pastor and a church full of messed up people in pursuit of the only one who can unmess us up, I was not kidding. Get it? Good, you're stuck. Okay, let's do this today. March 3rd, 2019, Getting Over Our Hurt. And I want to start off by just reading uh, two passages that are the most powerful pictures, I think, in the New Testament, maybe the entire Bible, of forgiveness and overcoming hurt. The first is found in Luke chapter 23. It's early Friday morning. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. He's gone through some mock trials. He's been beating. He's been scourged. And Luke writes, beginning at verse 26. 
As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women. Where would God's church be without women? Amen? Husbands, if you're not saying amen, you're in trouble, right? I was, I was tossing you a, you know, a soft toss right there. You should have said, amen, tap your wife. Where would I be without you, baby? But you, you lost it. It's gone, right? You can't get it back. A number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. I mean, Luke, Luke uses just four words. They crucified him there to describe unbelievable pain and agony. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they didn't, right? I mean, who knowingly, right, <laughs> would drive six-inch spikes through the hand of Almighty God? Right? They didn't know. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The next picture is found in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching about Jesus to an angry mob of Jewish leaders, the same people that were involved in the murder of Jesus. And Stephen tells them, who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And he tells them that, you know what, you're just like your forefathers who pretty much persecuted and even murdered everyone that God sent to them. And then Luke records in Acts 7, beginning to verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus standing. Now when Jesus ascended, right, he ascended and sat down at the right hand of God. See, the only time you see Jesus standing once he sat down is when his people need him. So I love that picture, right? He's standing up because one of his children is being persecuted and he wants to be there for him. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed to him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Father God, it's an honor and a privilege to come into your presence. A God who love for us is, is so very deep. A God who overcame and helps us to overcome. And a God who takes the brokenness in our lives and every one of us have been broken or are broken or are about to be broken. And God, if we give it to you, you can take that brokenness and make it something beautiful. And God, I pray that right now that you would open up every heart, every mind. Lord, because what we're going to talk about today, it's, it's real. It's real, and sometimes it's really raw. And God, you want to help us to get over our hurt. And there's some hurt in this room right now. There's some hurt standing on this platform right now. And God, we trust your word to do what only it can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, now, the way I, I want to attack this conversation is mind packing three statements in regards to hurt. Uh, the first one is, we all got some. I'm not sure that's good grammar, but you know that never stopped me before, right? 
Um, uh, second statement, what we should not do with our hurt. And then how do we get over our hurt? Getting over hurt. Got any? Got any? Now, I'm sure that we all got some. Uh, I came across uh, uh, this quote this week from a guy named Wayne Smith, a pastor in Lexington, Kentucky. He's with Jesus now. He said this, God had only one son without sin, but he's had no sons without sorrow. In other words, every person that's ever lived, including me, you, even Jesus, will have to deal with sorrow and hurt as we live our lives. It's just how it is. Here are a few scriptures that speak to this truth. Uh, Job said in Job 14.1, how frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of troubles. Jesus is speaking to his guys shortly before his arrest on that Thursday night, and he says, I told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before God put on flesh and dwelt among us, uh, described for us the kind of life that the Messiah would live, the things he would experience. He was, just talking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. And we did not care. You're hurt. We all got some. Because hurt is just an unfortunate reality of, of living in a fallen world. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. We've all been hurt. And hurt people hurt people. I understand all of us at one time or another have been mistreated, cast aside, beat down, let down, brokenhearted, abandoned, betrayed, bullied, belittled, abused, offended, overlooked, ignored, insulted, lonely, excluded, wounded, rejected, despised, lied about, disliked, hated. And we've been hurt by parents, spouses, exes, Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, in-laws, friends, ex-friends, classmates, co-workers, boyfriends, girlfriends, church members, church leaders. And perhaps the greatest hurt, as I heard Wayne Smith share, as I listened to a message of his this week, the greatest hurt, he said, is when we're hurt by our own children. Yes, hurt, we all got some. And if you've never been hurt, by another person in your entire life, I'd love for you to stand up. We'd like to meet you and find out where you got that bubble suit, right? Because, like, how in the world have you managed to do that, right? I don't think anybody's going to stand. And here's the deal, though. I wish it were not true, being hurt, and therefore living, therefore learning how to live and get over hurt is just a part of life. Question, what, what hurts are you carrying with you in this room this morning? And what are you going to do with it? I understand, God wants me, he wants you, he wants us to get over it. I mean, can you think of a better option? Like, is the option not to get over it, right? How's that working? Now, this week, as I thought about being hurt and living with hurt, how it's such a part of life, a, a comparison, an analogy, a picture came to my mind of 
how so many athletes, if they want to stay in the game, have to learn how to play hurt. And, and I want you to know that using sports illustrations is very biblical. <laughs> Paul used them over 20 times. He talked about running the race, winning the prize, fighting the good fight, finishing the course, playing to win, all right? And so I, I went online looking for examples of athletes that overcame hurt and stayed in the game. And after extensive research, here are my top seven. Here's number seven. It's kind of blurry picture, it's the best you can get. That's Byron Leftwich. In 2002, quarterback for Marshall, he broke, right, his left tibia, the large bone in his lower leg. He stayed in the game. And after every pass, the lineman would pick him up and carry him to the line of scrimmage. Okay? Here's number six. Muhammad Ali. That's the actual punch right there. I had to look, make sure that doesn't even look like his face. That's 1973 fighting Ken Norton. Ken Norton in a championship fight broke his jaw. And Ali would fight for 12 rounds losing in a decision. Here's the next one, number five. Uh, Walt Garrison, running back for the Cowboys, 1970 championship game against the 49ers. He finished the game despite breaking three ribs and his collarbone. Nuts. Uh, Lou Gehrig known as the Iron Horse, played in 2,130 consecutive games from June the 2nd, 1925 to May the 2nd, 1939, and it took a, a, a pretty rare and mysterious disease at the time, ALS, to put him on the bench. But in 1938, before he started to slump in his statistics, Columbia University did a medical exam on him and, and found that he had a, a very high tolerance for pain. And x-rays revealed that every single one of his fingers had been broken at least once. He had at least 17 fractures in his hand, and they all had healed by themselves. And he played all that time gripping that bat. Jack Youngblood. He played the entire 1979 NFL playoffs with a broken fibula or broken calf bone, including the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? Uh, Y.A. Tittle, he was a quarterback in the NFL. It's his final season, beginning of the season. He takes a hard hit by a Pittsburgh Steeler, right, uh, John Baker. Um, and during that hit, he sustained a concussion, and he, and he broke his sternum. That holds, like, the ribs together. <laughs> kind of important. He wanted to play the rest of the season with this injury. And number one, Brett Trotman, a goalie for a soccer team in Manchester, he, he was diving to block a, a kick coming and hit a guy's leg, and his neck was kind of hurt, and he finished the game, his team won. But afterwards, they found that, that he had dislocated several vertebrae in his neck and had broken two vertebrae in his neck. So he finished the game with a broken neck, and the doctors were amazed that, hey, we're surprised you're still alive because the, just the wrong shift would have actually killed you playing hurt. Brothers and sisters, playing hurt is just a part of the game of life. Joe played hurt. Stephen played hurt. Jesus played hurt. And so of countless, countless elders throughout the centuries, including many in this very room. I mean, some of you are sitting here this morning and you've been hurt. I mean, you've been injured by another player. And it's not been fun. And it's not been easy for you to hang in there, to stay in the game. But you, like Jesus, and you, like Stephen, and you, like so many others, have remained on the field. And I say, way to go. Way to tough it out. Well done. God is so proud of you. Hurt, we all got some next. What we should not do with our hurt. 
Listen, when you take a cheap shot by another player, there's at least three things you should not do at your hurt. Number one, you should not repress it. Repress means to, you know, to push something down by force. In other words, something's trying to come up, but you keep pushing it down. And that's the way a lot of us were taught to deal with our emotions, with anger and hurt and resentment. We're taught to repress it, to push it down to the surface, telling ourselves, hey, it's not, that, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I, I shouldn't feel this way. This shouldn't hurt me so bad. Don't let it show. Don't let anybody see. Keep pushing it down. Don't let anybody see what's going on on the inside. Because you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to think about it. And, and you're hoping that out of sight will be out of mind. But listen, the problem with repressing hurt, pushing it down, guess what's going to happen? It's going to leak back out. It's going to come back out. And here's the deal. Even if you've managed to get it below the surface, so it's kind of out of your mind, it is still affecting and impacting the way that you live your life. Uh, Let me give you some clues that maybe you have some repressed hurt you haven't dealt with. Number one, you become angry over little things. Like this is a person who loses it on the person behind the counter Chick-fil-A because his 12-piece nugget was one nugget short. It's a nugget, right? Or, or, or he goes in a rage because someone cuts him off in traffic or, or steals his right away at the four-way stop sign. Like, where did that come from? You see, these little things are revealing that you have some repressed bitterness and hurt that is starting to seep out. Another clue could be that you complain about everything. Uh, people who repress her kind of see everything through a negative lens. And so they constantly complain about their teachers, about their coworkers, about neighbors, about relatives, about servers, uh, about the church. I mean, they can. It doesn't matter. They're just really good. They can always find something negative in anything. A third indication is you're overly sensitive and defensive. Like some of you right now are thinking, hey, I, hey, I, I may get mad over little things and yeah, sometimes I'm negative, but this is not me. <laughs> I don't have any repressed hurt. This is not talking about me. Well, maybe this is you. <laughs> and, and maybe the reason no one's ever told you this, right? Well, why hasn't anybody told me I'm overly sensitive and defensive? Because you're overly sensitive and defensive. <laughs> right? I don't want to tell you. And anytime they're around you, they don't know. They don't know what they're going to get. They don't know what kind of mood you're going to be in. They don't know what's going to set you off. So it's just there. It's just this oversensitivity and defensiveness that tends to mark your relationships. So you can, yeah, you can repress your hurt, push it down, but it's going to leak out. When it leaks out, it's going to spread that infection, infection everywhere. Another thing not to do with your hurt is to rehearse it. I mean, it's like some of us have a DVR in our head. And we recorded every episode, including commercials, right, of every single time somebody has heard us. And all we have to do is push the play button and relieve, relieve the hurt again and again and again. And there's certain things that will trigger it, set it off. And when those triggers are set off, you just keep replaying in your mind, reopening the wound, rekindling the flames of that hurt 
And sometimes those flames get even hotter than they were when the hurt actually occurred. Check out these words from uh, Friedrich um, Bruckner. He's an American writer, poet, preacher, theologian. Of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. To lick your wounds and savor the pain that you will give back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that what you are eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton of the feast is you. You start holding a grudge, but in the end, the grudge holds you. And, and here, here's the deal. Some of you, some of us maybe have been feeding and rehearsing our hurt so much from the past that we have no emotional energy left for the people who are in our life today. Because we're using it all up to someone who may not even be in our life anymore. It's like your, all your energy and emotion goes to that and there's nothing left. And your relationships today suffer because of it. Listen, feeding and rehearsing hurt is a very bad and destructive thing to do with your hurt. Third thing you should not do with your hurt is to react angrily to it. You know, the, you hurt me, I'll hurt you. You offend me, I'll offend you. You attack me, I'll attack you. You tweet mean about me, I'll tweet mean about you, philosophy of life. They're called America. <laughs> Question, when has responding in anger to your hurt ever had a positive outcome? Uh, just a few scriptures speak to this. Solomon, a wise guy, but like many wise guys, he, it's one thing to write the truth, another thing to live it. Uh, do not let your spirit rush to anger. For anger abides in the heart of fools. Turn, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Anger abides in the heart of fools. You would just love to say to somebody, but I'm not going to let you do it. Um, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Understand, anger in your life allows the devil to set up camp, a base of operations, if you will, to wreak havoc in your life. Jesus' brother said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and, e and the evil that is so prevalent. And it appears to be that getting angry could be moral filth and evil. And humbly, it takes humility, right? Except the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Like, I, I don't think anyone will say, hold on, James. I don't agree. I think that's bad advice, James. You know, uh, be quick to listen, slow to become angry, you know, uh, uh, slow to speak, slow to become, I think that's bad advice. And I said, I think anger can lead me to righteous life. No one would disagree with that, right? But the problem is, do our lives agree with that? Do the way we live shows that we're actually living that way? Do not merely listen to the word and say, yeah, that's true, that's true. We got to be quick to listen, slow to become angry. And so to see yourself, do what it says. Okay, now, now let's talk about the important third statement, how to get over our hurt. And we're going to receive some great advice that God breathed through Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, a book that Paul wrote, by the way, in a Roman prison waiting to be executed. 
And it's pretty awesome. In these verses, we're going to see, we're going to uncover five things that, that we can do that will help us to get over our hurt. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Paul writes, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we did. The first time I was marked for the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength, so that I might preach the good news in his entirety for all the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Got any hurt? Would you like to get over it? Lean in, right? Holy Spirit's about to speak, right? These are not my words, right? If you try to deal with it, if holding on to it hasn't helped you much, maybe that's why we're all here today. Number one, get over your hurt. Be honest about your hurt. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul talks about this guy who caused him some pain. His name is Alexander. He doesn't go in a lot of detail what he did. He just says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. What do you do, Paul? Well, he doesn't really tell us. Now, the Greek word for, for harm is the, is, the, is, the, is the word kakos, and its primary meaning is wicked or evil. Some translations actually say that. So it's a better translation would be, Alex the coppersmith did me much evil. Which means that this guy did, what this guy did to Paul was not some minor issue like shorting him a chicken nugget, right? Or taking his parking place at Walmart. I mean, what this guy did gave Paul a legitimate cause to feel hurt. It was a legitimate cause. And, and, and I... And I'm just going to come right out and say it. I think too many people today are far too easily offended. I, I mean, it's like they're waiting for someone to say or do something wrong so that they can be offended, get hurt, get angry, and start hating. And I think we need to dial that down a little bit. I, I remember my mom talking to me, and, and the cool thing is, I don't even know this, this Bible right here. I always keep this, this is my mom's Bible. I keep it here. So every week I look over there, it's kind of like my mom's with me. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Um, and, and she talked to me about several things that with her. And some of you maybe heard the same thing. She, she would say, Stephen, stop crying before you're hurt. Stephen, stop making a mountain out of a molehill. And in case you're wondering, Making a mountain out of a molehill is an idiom referring to overreactive histrionic behavior which a person makes to minor issues that seems to have come into existence in the 16th century. <laughs> Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's insight makes him slow to anger and it's to his glory to overlook an offense. See, part of being a gracious person is that you understand this, that you understand that we're called to, to let go to overlook an offense. Like, if you walk out of this building and you fall and you scrape your knee, get up, brush it off, put a Band-Aid on, right? Not that big of a deal. You'll get over it. You walk out this door, get run over by a car, hey, call 911, right? That's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. And I'm saying, I, I, I'm not talking about getting over something that's evil, something that's wicked, something that's abusive, or something that's criminal. 
But again, I'm amazed at the things that can offend people, even within the church, things that people get upset and worked up about. I mean, I never would have imagined. Yet somehow it became all about them, and they're upset. The Bible says, look, don't be so easily offended. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. And they're saying, nothing will rob your joy more quickly or chip away at your relationships more quickly and alienate people more quickly They've been overly sensitive and easily offended. But again, Paul makes clear that sometimes we do get hurt in significant ways. That's why I find myself frustrated. I'm frustrated on one hand because some people are too easily offended. On the other hand, I'm frustrated because someone was hurt in a significant way and no one's ever acknowledged it. I mean, like they pretend it didn't happen. Meanwhile, the wound gets affected and it metastasizes. Meanwhile, what has happened to them long ago continues to affect and impact their relationships now and will continue to do so. And no one acts like anything happened. So Paul says, look, I, I was hurt. I'll be honest. It was significant harm that was done to me. So be honest about your hurt. Don't say, oh, it's not a big deal. It didn't hurt. It's okay. No, it's not okay. See, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means there was offense that actually required you to forgive. Get it? Good. So the Bible begins by acknowledging, I was in a coppersmith, did me much harm, but the Lord, the Lord, you see what he's doing here? He's beginning to release it. He's giving it to God. The Lord will judge him for what he has done. And that takes us to the second thing, release your right to get even, giving it to God. Look, I get it. There's something within us. Man, I know it's within me that thinks, yeah, I'll get over it when I get even. I'll get over it when they pay. I'll get over it when I make them feel the way that I feel. I'll get over it when they make things right. Then I'll get over it. But that's not forgiveness. That's revenge. Do not repay anyone for evil for evil. Kakas for kakas, same word. Be careful, do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And sometimes you can't, right? Sometimes people don't want to make peace. Sometimes they won't talk to you. Let it be on them, but not on you, right? They won't return your phone calls, your texts, your emails. They won't meet with you, but you try. That's on them. That's not on you. But there's a rift that's not settled. Make sure that it's not on you. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. See, what we're doing, when, when we take revenge, we're saying, God, God, I know you're the judge, but you get out of that seat. And I'm going to sit there. I'm going to sit there. So, so Paul's been hurt in a significant way. And, and then he acknowledges it, and he releases it to God. I'm going to let God take care of that. And listen, when you do that, when you do that, you are not forfeiting justice. Instead, you're guaranteeing it. Because you've given the hurt, the evil, you're giving the wrong to someone who is not only bigger than you are, but who understands justice better than you do, right? So you're not denying justice, you're just giving it to the one who's ultimately just. Get it? Good. You may not have wanted it, but I hope you got it. A quick side note, releasing your right to get even does not mean you release your right to be smart and cautious, after all, Paul said this, be careful of him 
Put up some guardrails. Yeah, get over it, but be careful of him because he fought against everything we said, right? So, hey, sometimes, hey, you can forgive, but you don't got to be stupid, right? You can put up some guardrails in your life to protect you. Now, verse 16, Paul goes on to give another example of how he'd been hurt. And he says, the first time I was brought before the judges, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. He's making reference to this trial, a trial where his very life was on the line. And Paul had poured his life and served these people and loved these people, and nobody showed up. Paul needed someone to lean on, and nobody was there. And some of you know what that's like. Because someone you counted on let you down. And like you thought you could trust someone, and they betrayed you. I mean, you, you gave your heart to them, and they returned your heart in pieces. That's a different kind of hurt. That's a deeper kind of hurt. Because I, I don't think Paul and Alexander were all that close, right? And, and that hurt maybe annoyed Paul, but it wasn't as deep. You see, it's different when the hurt is done by someone you cared for, someone you loved, someone you trusted, someone you poured your life out for and into. Understand, more often than not, the deeper and more intimate the relationship, the deeper and more devastating the hurt. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the hurt. Get it? Good. That's true, isn't it? So Paul cared for and he loved the people and he sacrificed for them. And he says, everyone abandoned me. Here's what he does next. What he says may not be counted against them. He releases it in this prayer saying may not be counted against them, which brings us to the third thing to get over your hurt. Ask God to help those who hurt you. That's what Stephen did, right? Don't hold this against them. That was, that's what Jesus said. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus taught. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And for some of us, this is where getting over our hurt gets real and raw and not so much fun. Because once you attach a name and a face, <laughs> praying that just doesn't seem counterintuitive. It seems impossible. I mean, I'm supposed to pray for someone who hurt me, who betrayed me, who lied about me, who slandered me. I'm supposed to bless someone who cursed me, pray for someone who hurt me and broke my heart. Difficult, yes, but there's tremendous power in it when it comes to getting over hurt. And believe me, when I tell you, I know this is hard, but you can do it. So I want to challenge you this week to begin praying for someone who has hurt you. And I'll do the same. And to be honest, I do not want to do it. I don't. Maybe I'm afraid to do it. I really don't want to. Um, but I got to trust God's justice and trust him. Maybe you need to do the same. And maybe we'll find out that maybe Jesus asking you how to pray this prayer is not so much about for the person we're praying for. Maybe it has more to do with us and setting us free. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the story of Ruby Bridges if her name sounds familiar, Ruby Ridges was a six-year-old girl in 1960 who was the first African-American uh, girl to attend an all-white school. Norman Walkwell had a painting called The Problem We All Live With. It was about her. Six years old, 
integrating the school all by herself. First day there, hundreds of people. They're shouting, they're screaming. There was a black doll in a coffin. They're yelling at her. She had nightmares. She'd wake up and tell her mom about her nightmares, and her mom would say, did you pray about Did you pray, say your prayers yet? <laughs> and Ruth writes in her book, Through My Eyes, somehow it always worked. Kneeling at the side of my bed and talking to the Lord made everything okay. She writes, my mother and our pastor always says you have to pray for your enemies and people who do wrong, so that's what I did. Dr. Arbor Coffey documents some of her prayers in his children's book, The Story of Ruby Bridges. And he watched her go to school, saw everything she went through, and he couldn't understand how come Ruby wasn't depressed? How come she wasn't angry? How come she wasn't hurt? How come she wasn't full of bitterness? And and one day a, a teacher saw Ruby walk up to a line of people who were shouting at her, and she was moving her lips, and her teacher told Dr. Cole about it, and he said, Ruby, when he met with her, Ruby, what did you say to the people who were shouting at you? She, She said, I didn't say anything to them. I was praying for them. The Bible says pray for your enemies, and so that's what I was doing. And that's what we need to do. Ask God to help those who hurt us. And I know that there's something within many of us right now that does not even want to consider this. But it's what Jesus commanded us to do, right? And to not do what he commanded us to do is what? There's a word for that. It starts with an S. Middle letters I, sin, right? It's sin. It's sin. So Paul briefly shares with Timothy how he was wronged and how he was hurt. And he lays out this path for getting over hurt. Notice I said, I didn't choose the word get, I choose getting. I-N-G, right? It's a process, right? You're going to get over it today. You got you to work on it tomorrow and next week and the day after. It, it, it's an ongoing process, right? It just doesn't happen. Got any hurt? Would you like to get over it? Be honest about your hurt. Release your right to get even. Giving it to God. Ask God to help those who hurt you. And then the next thing we need to do is found in verse 17. Value and bask in the persistent presence of God. Paul says, everybody abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me like he stood with Stephen. Everyone abandoned me. No one was there. I was all by myself, but the Lord stood with me and he gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. I love it. He starts off talking about his hurt in this passage, and he ends up by worshiping God and recognizing that God was standing with him the entire time. Do you think Paul valued this persistent presence of God? Do you think he valued God standing with him? See, Paul recognizes that that people let him down, that people he counted on didn't come through. People that he needed abandoned him. But God, but God was there the whole time and God gave him what he needed. God gave him strength and rescue. And some of you get this because when you were the most hurt, when you were the most betrayed, when you were the most abandoned, God was the most present. I mean, he's still with you. Nobody else did, but he was there. And he gave you strength. And you learned to depend upon him in a way that you never knew was even possible. 
And some of you are in the middle of something like that right now, like the wound is fresh, and I'm telling you that he's there. And you can lean on him. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's been done to you, but I know that God will stand with you in your pain and be persistent in his presence. Value that presence. Bask in that presence. Get it? Good. I mean, come on. You don't think he knows what it's like? Please. You don't think he knows what it's like to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be abandoned, to be beaten, to be falsely accused, to be betrayed by friends that you trust? You don't think he knows what's that? You don't think he knows what that's like? He was betrayed with a kiss. He knows what that's like. And the Bible says in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we're going to find help when we need it. Paul said, look, this hurt. It was hard. But God was with me. And he gave me strength. Maple Grove hurt is something everyone has dealt with in this room, is dealing with, and will always have to deal with. Playing through hurt is just part of staying in the game. And God wants you to get over it. However, you will never get over it by repressing it, by rehearsing it, by reacting in anger with it. Instead, God through Paul was saying, hey, no, if you want to get over your hurt, here's how you do it. Be honest about your hurt. Release your right to get even. Ask God to help those who hurt you. Value and bask in the persistent presence of God. And when we do that, we can expect to experience God's peace and freedom. For righteous and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly home. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but Paul sins. Paul, a guy hurt and abused in prison, waiting to be killed, seems pretty peaceful <laughs> and pretty free. Question, if, if, if we take these steps, if we're honest and we release, we ask God and we value, why can we expect to experience new freedom and peace? Hear me. We're not done yet. Because you're never more like God than when you forgive. And the more like God you are, the more peace and freedom you will have. One thing that God will never rebuke you for, saying, you know what? You were just way too forgiving down there. <laughs> He's not going to do that. You'll, ne you'll never be more like God than when you forgive. Why? Because God pours out his favor when we're obedient. And when we are obedient on something so difficult as this, something that's so near and dear to God's heart, forgiveness, God will pour out his blessing and his favor on your life. As a matter of fact, when we don't forgive, Matthew 18, we find a guy's rather annoyed with us when we don't forgive. Why do we experience new peace and freedom? Because this weight bitterness and hurt that we've been carrying that has been causing us to miss out on the grace of God, that bitter root that we allowed to grow up has been lifted. Got any hurt? 
Would you like to overcome it? To get over it? Be honest about your hurt? Release your right to get even? Giving it to God? Ask God to help those who hurt you? Value and risk? Bask in the presence of God? And expect to experience God's peace and freedom? I don't know if you notice what the first letter of all those spell. B-R-A-V-E. What's that spell? Brave. 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 That's helped me remember it. (laughs) Brave people get over their hurt. Amen? Amen. And, and, And... it's hard, right? It's hard when maybe that person is no longer here. You can still get over it. Maybe it's hard because that person no longer wants to be in your life, right? That's hard. You know, but God can still help you work through it. God can still help you work through it. And, and here's the deal. You know, there, there may be some conversations some of us in this room, right? Some of you need to have with people that maybe you've hurt or they've hurt you. And, 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 and I'm not naive enough to think, well, Steve preached a sermon about forgiveness and we are all good to go. Rest of our life. Man, Steve is amazing. 40 minutes and he just knocked it out of the park. No more sermons, no more books, no more counselors. He saved us all this money. It's all, nah, I, I'm not that naive. But, but, but here's what I do believe. I believe, I believe that if you and I are able to come into that conversation having already forgiven them, it'll go a lot better, right? Because we said, hey, you know what? I was honest with my hurt. I, God's going to get even. I, I'll trust him to, I'm not going to even. I'm going to release that to God. I'm going to ask God to help that person because they're struggling too. I'm going to value that God's with me no matter what. And I want that new freedom and that new peace. And, and, and we're going to sing this closing song and and, 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 and not to seem weird, and no cheating, you know, um, but, you know, I, I, I venture there's one or two people dealing with hurt. Um, and, and, and what I'm going to ask you guys to do, with, you know, everybody just keeps their eyes closed as I pray, and I'm going to sit down too, and, and don't, until I say amen, you can't, you can't peek. But as if I, I'm praying, and You've been dealing with this hurt, and it's just weighing you down, and, and you don't even know if this is going to work. You don't even know. I don't even know if I can get over this. I, I don't know if I get past this, but you'd like to. Then as I'm praying with everybody's eyes closed, no peeking, right? Just stand up. Just say, God, you know what, God? Today I declare to you, will you help me to get over this hurt, okay? And when I say amen, everybody stands. But we pause like three seconds with our eyes closed. Okay, we, so we stand up with our eyes closed. And then we say, okay, I know it's weird. But you know me. All right. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we love you. And God, God, we know. God, I know that there's so much in life that hurts us. And, and God, right now, maybe there's some hurt between a husband and a wife, between a mom and a dad, between a child and a parent, a brother and a sister. And God, some of us has been there for a long time and maybe we've tried to repress it and it hasn't worked and we keep rehearsing it and we get angrier and angrier. And God, I just pray, Lord, that Lord, that you know, those who are ready to just tell you, God, that 
they trust you and that you'll help them through this hurt, God, that they'll just stand and say, God, I want to get over this hurt. I, I want to forgive like you have forgiven me. And so, God, we trust you. Holy Spirit, just move right now as we sing. Help us to be brave. Because brave people get over hurt. Cowards run from it. Cowards push it down. But brave people fight to get over their hurt. And God, help us to be brave. In Jesus' name, amen.